Well, good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be here with you today. Um, wherever we are, if we are with brothers and sisters in Christ, we have fellowship and we have a connection. Through Christ, I am closer to every one of you, even though I may not even know half of your names than perhaps my own family. Through Christ, I am closer to you as the body of Christ than anything the world can ever know. And so it's a blessing to be here with you today. As Josiah mentioned, my name is John Snively. Um, some of you have familiar faces. Um, I come from Calvary Baptist Church of Marina. I've been there since 2014. I am a deacon in our church. Um, I also teach our college and career ministry and help with our bus routes, so a little bit of everything. Um, my wife Patty is with me here today, and it's a blessing to have her. Um, and before we get started, and I share my testimony and what the Lord has laid on my heart, let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that I can call you Father, that those of us who have been saved through the work of Christ can call you Abba, Father. I can come to you directly through your Son, Jesus Christ. I can lift my requests to you. I can lift my burdens to you. I can give my praise to you for what Christ has done. Father, there is nothing that I can say in my own words that will mean anything or be any encouragement, but your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living, and it has the ability to change our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me to faithfully teach your word today. Please use me as an instrument of righteousness to be a blessing to the people here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm thankful to have grown up in a Christian home and uh, with a family who, parents who love the Lord. Um, as a matter of fact, one of my earliest childhood memories is being in the church and maybe running around a little bit more than I should have while my parents were cleaning. Um, so as you mentioned, needing people to clean the church, that was a, a fun childhood memory for me. Um, I was saved at a young age, to be honest. I don't know the exact moment that I was saved. Um, in different points in my life, I've, I've wondered when that was, but I know for sure, standing here before you today, that I am born a sinner, that there is nothing I can do in my own power to make myself right with God, and because of my sin, I deserve the judgment of God on my sin, and justly so. But Jesus Christ has offered and has paid for my sin through his blood on the cross. He's risen again to new life, and he offers me that gift of imputing his righteousness to my account. And so I can stand before you here today thankful that I am saved and I am in Christ because of the work of Jesus Christ. Although I grew up in a Christian home, unfortunately, um, as I grew into my teen years, I began to see church and, and living for God as more something to do to make my parents happy, to make the members of my church happy, to keep up a good appearance. And in 2014, when I moved away from my family in Fresno out to the coast, which God used um, through my work to bring me out here, um, long story that I won't share for today, but it is a blessing of how God works, I started walking away from the Lord. I knew I was saved, but you know what? The world looked so appealing, as we heard in, in Sunday school today, that sometimes we think those who are living for the world, that are enslaved to the world system run by Satan, that it seems like they are having a good time. And that enticed me. And I remember one morning, um, standing in my little kitchen in my apartment, I had found Calvary Baptist Church of Marina. I knew where there was a good church to, to go to, um, but I didn't really want anything to do with that. And as I stood there in my kitchen on a Sunday morning, knowing I should be in church, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart and convicted me and told me that, you know, up until this moment, by his grace, he was 
restraining me in a sense, holding me back. Um, but if I wanted to try to live like the world, you know, God would let me see what that's like. He doesn't force following him on us. It's a choice. And I got really scared thinking about what life might be like without God, without Christ. And so I prayed right then and there, and I repented of the way I was choosing to live my life. And I didn't know how to get back on track with the Lord other than I needed to be in God's word, and I needed to be going to a good church where I could hear good preaching. And so I started doing that, and God used some very godly men, Pastor Tim, Pastor Mike, um, other people that were at the church at the time, and I'm so thankful for their time and, and effort in investing in me. And so if I am here today sharing God's word with you, it is only by the grace of God, and it is only his power and work in my life. And so as we gather here today, I, I think about the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Even if we are from two different churches, we have unity in that. Um, Christ tells us that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in their midst. And, and that's what I want to do today is share with you who Jesus Christ is. It's not something new. It's not something revolutionary. It's something we've probably already heard. Um, but as Peter reminds us, it's good to be reminded of the things of, of God. And if there is one thing we should focus on in our life, it is Christ, because he is sufficient for everything. Paul says in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that doesn't mean that we can shoot hoops and play basketball, as that's sometimes um, used. That is talking about the fact that whether I'm in want or I have plenty, whether I'm suffering or I'm abounding, wherever I am in life, whatever stage I am in, whatever I am facing in life, I can face it through Christ who strengthens me. To keep Paul from being too proud, God allowed some thorn in his flesh, something that caused him to experience suffering in this physical world. And three times God goes to Paul and he asks, please take this away from me. Take this suffering, take this hardship out of my life. And he's reminded of this in 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you. And, in your, and, and Paul says that in my weakness, then I glory because there is strength in Christ. Three other times Paul talks about the sufficiency of Christ in his life. And I want to look at those by way of introduction. Uh, the first would be in Acts chapter 18, um, my, my actual text that I'm going to be focusing on will be in Colossians chapter 1, but I'm going to start in Acts chapter 18. Paul is on his second missionary journey here. He's in the city of Corinth after a very tumultuous time. Um, just by way of background, Paul has seen a vision of a, a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And so Paul travels there to um, preach the gospel with Silas. They arrive in Philippi, and Paul and Silas... Um, followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, and where does that get them? It gets them beaten and thrown in jail for delivering a girl from a demonic spirit. They leave Philippi and go for, to Thessalonica, and for three weeks they're reasoning in the synagogue, preaching the gospel of Christ, and what happens there? They are, the people are, are stirred up against them, and they are chased out of the city. They go to Berea, and there the Bereans are commended for their faithfulness to check the scriptures uh, with what Paul and, and Silas are teaching. And yet again, those same uh, Jewish leaders that are opposed to the gospel come and they stir up the people there. And again, they are, they are chased out. Much of Paul's uh, journey up until this point has involved a great deal of physical suffering and spiritual opposition in every city that he's gone to. And so he comes to Corinth and he's preaching there and he's waiting for some of his companions to, to catch up with him. And as he's there in the city, Jesus Christ gives him an encouragement. In Acts chapter 18, 
starting in verse 9. Then the Lord, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with you, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God unto them, among them. Now Jesus doesn't waste words. Um, the Bible tells us that every word of God is pure, and every word of God is appropriate for the situation. And so if Jesus is telling Paul, do not be afraid, we can correctly assume that Paul has some fear here. He's not going to give him a message of assurance that he doesn't need. Now, we don't think of the great apostle Paul as being fearful, do we? He's the one who's bold. He's the one who's going about suffering all kinds of, of hardship in order to, to preach the gospel of Christ. But in this moment, after experiencing all this suffering, after experiencing all this, all this hardship, Paul is in a city, and Christ comes to him and says, Be not afraid, but speak. Hold thy peace. I am with you. Later on, in his ministry, his third missionary journey, Paul is back in Jerusalem. Um, a really interesting study is to look at the timing of the book of Romans and, and when that is being written and Paul's desire to go see the Romans but being led by the Spirit back to Jerusalem. Well, Paul does make it back to Jerusalem and he is arrested. In Acts 23, starting in verse 10, we get another reassurance of, to Christ, of Christ um, to Paul. He's in this case, he is in a great deal of physical danger, unlike Corinth, where, God, where Jesus Christ promises him that he's going to be safe, that he's going to be protected. Here he is arrested. Paul, as he's heading back to Jerusalem, is telling people, I'm not going to see you again, or I'm ready to die in Jerusalem. So as far as he knows, this is the end of his life. And then Acts 23, 10 and 11, that night as Paul is standing under arrest in the castle, waiting for his trial, uncertain of what his future holds, that night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Finally, as Paul is looking back at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, Paul is in Rome, sitting in jail, knowing that his life is about to end. And as he tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. And Paul is reflecting back on his life and he is looking at the encouragement and the source of encouragement that he received from Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 16, as he's looking back in his life in the times when he felt all alone, when he felt completely abandoned, when he felt like there was no one to stand with him. Here's what he says. At my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding... The Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known. In three different occasions, Paul is writing and recording about how Christ stood by him, how Christ was his source of, source of strength. That can, can almost seem a little bit like a cliche, can it? When we hear someone say, Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer to everything. Christ is not a cliche. Christ is the answer to everything. But the way we find encouragement in that statement that Christ is the answer to everything is by better understanding who Christ is. If I don't understand who Jesus Christ is, then how am I going to draw strength and encouragement from him? Because it's just a name. It's just an idea that I might have. Thankfully, God's word gives us a very clear picture of who Jesus Christ is. 
And that's what I hope to encourage you with today. Just as Paul found encouragement in Christ, standing with him even when nobody else would, you and I may be standing all alone in some area of our life, but we can stand strong through Jesus Christ because of who he is. So finally, we can get to the passage I really want to look at today, and that is Colossians chapter 1. If I, we could probably turn to almost any passage in the Bible and, and find truths about who Christ is, because the whole Bible is ultimately a story about Christ and about his work throughout human history to bring people to himself. Um, but one of my personal favorites and one that I find um, encouragement, um, my pastor Tim likes to call certain of his favorite passages power verses, and so I think you might call Colossians chapter 1 one of my power passages in terms of finding encouragement from what the Word of God has to say. So I want to read through this passage and then share some different thoughts that um, are on my heart in terms of how we can learn more about who Christ is to encourage ourselves and encourage each other in times of doubting, in times of feeling alone. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. God, we're talking about God here, who delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. God the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us, transformed us, moved us over into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, Jesus Christ, his Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning from the firstborn of the dead, that in him he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him, Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. This passage tells us so much about the character of Jesus Christ. Verse 12 and 13 remind us that we are talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about God the Father who through his Son has done all these things. Starting in going back to uh, Colossians 1, looking at verse 14 and 17, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What are some things that we can know about Christ. Well, first of all, I just want to look, think about the passage as a whole before we even get to the specific characteristics um, that Jesus Christ is described by in here. We know from the book of John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Jesus Christ is the Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In 2 Peter, Peter reminds us that no scripture is, is of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And of course, in a one verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable 
for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. People, men of God, were inspired to write these words. These are the very words of God. Jesus Christ is the word of God. In John 16, Jesus is talking a little bit about this process of sending the Holy Spirit. And he says in John 16, 7 and down in 12 through 15, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus was reminding his disciples that I have to leave you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit through which we have our inspired word of God. A little bit later in John 16, starting in verse 12, Jesus says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He, there were things that Christ wanted to tell his disciples. It was not the right time yet. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, and he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, he shall take of mine and show them to you. So Jesus Christ sends us the Holy Spirit and through him tells us of himself. This is not just the words of Paul giving us a description of what Christ is like. This is Christ himself through the Holy Spirit, inspirationally telling us, this is who I am. This is who, this is my character. This is what I am like. This is why you can trust me even when you are standing alone. We're going to see this play out again and again through this passage, that all things are through Christ. Everything is through Jesus Christ. What is the first thing that we see in verse 14? In him, in him, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. If there is one fact that we should remind ourselves of daily, it is that our salvation is through Jesus Christ. We are bought with the price, 1 Corinthians tells us. It is his blood that paid the penalty for our sins. I know for myself, having been saved many years, that it is so easy for me to take my salvation for granted because I sometimes treat it as my ticket to heaven and I've been bought and paid for and I'm set free from sin and I can live for the Lord, but you know what? I'm really just focused on what's going on in my life right now. I'm bought with a price. I've been redeemed from sin. Jesus Christ gave his life, humbled himself, came from heaven, took on flesh, lived among us to experience all, what life is like for us in all points, tempted as we were yet without sin. He is a high priest who is familiar with our infirmities. He knows what we go through. Jesus Christ bought us. As we saw in verse 20 through 22, we were enemies against God, alienated in our minds by wicked works, yet he bought us back. Whether we were saved at six years old or 60, every one of us is born with a sin nature. We are slaves to that sin nature. We are corrupt in our thinking and our actions, and no good work can make us right with God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, and Jesus Christ sheds his perfect blood, and he takes our sins and he nails them to his cross, as we will see. In Colossians 2.14, we see that very point, that blotting out the right handwriting of ordinances that was against us. You and I have a long list of violations against God 
that we need to hang on our record. But Jesus Christ, God has blotted them out through the blood of Jesus Christ. Took that which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he may bring us to God, having put to death the flesh, but made us alive through the Spirit. Jesus is the only way the human, me- human race could meet the demands of an all-holy God. Without Christ, none of us have any hope of salvation from the path of judgment that we are born into. If we want to be like Paul and be able to say, I stand with Christ, Christ stands with me, and I trust in him no matter what I am facing, though all others forsake me, I can stand strong. The first reason I can stand strong is because Jesus Christ has bought me and made me his own and brought me to him. Romans 5.1 tells us that therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is everything. Everything in our life is through Christ. The most important thing of which is our salvation, our being bought back and redeemed from God. I don't in any way want to seem like I'm trying to get salvation out of the way, because we could talk every Sunday about salvation. But as the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us leave behind the principal things of our doctrine and move on to more spiritual things. And so, as thankful as I am for salvation, that is not the only way that we should view Christ in terms of who he is and his character. And starting in verse 15, after we've established our salvation as the most important thing of all, we learn more about the character of Christ. In Colossians 1.15, Paul tells us that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. In verse 19, he's going to tell us that it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. In John chapter 1, verse 14, I'm going to turn there just so I can read the verses accurately. Um, In John chapter 1, verses 14, he's going to tell us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Down in verse 18, the, the point is emphasized again. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. In John chapter 14, a little bit later on in the book, John is a great book, by the way, for establishing the deity of Christ, where Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, I have existed, I and the Father are one. Jesus himself made those very clear claims that he is God. But in John 14, in verses 8 and 9, Philip said to him, to Christ, Lord, show us the Father and it will suffice us. Christ, we just want to, we just want to see God the Father. We just want to see what, that, what he looks like and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, have I not been with you so, have I been so long with you and yet you have not known me, Philip? And he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Christ is the image of God. Do we want to know what God is like? We look to Christ. We want to know who our Heavenly Father is. We look to Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we find the perfect image of God. 
He's not only the image of God, he is God. He is the image of God, he is the picture of God, he is fully God bodily. But he's a lot more than just our salvation and just the image of God. In verse 16, we see that he has created all things. 16 and 17 are two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For by him, by Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and all things were created through him. Psalm 19 reminds us that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the earth shows his handiwork. Day after day, we can look at the natural created world that God has made. And despite the curse of sin in this world, which brings so much hurting, death, suffering, we still see the beauty of God. We still see the beauty of creation and what he has made. Um, I'm really not familiar with a lot of astronomy and, and sort of outer space science things, but um, recently, there maybe it wasn't recently, I guess it's been up there for a while. There's this James Webb telescope. Uh, maybe some of you that are interested in stars and astronomy um, have seen really beautiful pictures of the expanses of the universe. Um, way out somewhere there, couldn't even tell you where, is um, some very large gas clouds, um, something like five light years long. They're, they're referred to as the pillars of creation. If you ever do a Google search for space images and you look up pillars of creation, um, they look like these giant fingers of a hand almost, these massive gas clouds, something like five light years long. Um, and since that didn't mean anything to me, I had to look it up. And five light years is about the distance from our solar system to the nearest star. So if you were to get in your little spaceship and fly off for five light years, you would reach the nearest star. That whole time, you could be traveling inside of this gas cloud and not reach one end or the other. That's how massive these uh, formations are out in space. Um, they were all, the scientists were all excited because they had seen this little jet of gas that was shooting through the galaxy at 450,000 miles an hour, and it had traveled something like 60 trillion miles from the last time they had photo photographed it with Hubble till this latest photo by James Webb. And so I was all excited. I'm comparing pictures, and I'm trying to see the difference of how it's grown and changed. And then finally I found the photo, and they show what 60 trillion miles of travel looks like, and it's this tiny little dot way in the center of the photo that just looks like a, a little line. Whoever thought that a, a structure out in the universe could be so large that 60 trillion miles of travel just looks like a speck in the middle of that. Christ created that. Christ made that. That is, that is his handiwork. Um, we should be thankful that we live in a time when we have access to so much um, information on God's creation. I was thinking about the ocean. You know, we, even here, we live fairly close to the ocean, and you go down to the aquarium, you look at their new deep sea uh, exhibit. If you've been over there, they have these giant king crabs, Japanese king crabs. They're something like four feet tall. They're horrible-looking things, and they're just amazing. They live way down at the bottom of the ocean, you know, until we recently when we've had the technological ability to even access some of those things, you realize those creatures have existed since God created them, and they've just been living out under the ocean there, glorifying God in their creation, and no human being has ever, has ever seen them. There are still parts of our universe that are completely unseen to us as human beings, and yet they exist for no other purpose, really, than to glorify God. And they're just there, whether we see them or not. All of creation is made by Christ. And it glorifies God. 
But he has not just made the physical world that we can see, that we can see with telescopes and submarines and microscopes. He has made all things invisible. It says, again, in verse 16, For by him all things were created that were in heaven and that were in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. This does not mean the invisible things that I have yet to discover with my electron microscope. This is the invisible, the intangible things, the principalities, the powers, the forces of this world. Everything is created by God, is allowed by God, as we're going to see in a minute, is sustained by God. California, uh, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, my wife is from Pennsylvania. Um, the politics of Pennsylvania can be somewhat similar to California in some sense. Um, obviously, it's no surprise to anyone to say that California is a more liberal state. Um, in many ways, um, I see policies being implemented, whether at the county level or state, that are very much against what the Bible teaches. It can be very discouraging at times to think about how living in this place where so many people seem to want to do the exact opposite of what God calls us to do. Um, how can we survive in a, in a place like that? How can this be happening? It, it's, it's very discouraging at times. You realize that every power in this state, every power in this county, well, we're in a different county, right? Both of our counties. Every power in our nation, in the world, is under, is created by Christ. Um, he sets the boundaries of the nations. He sets up rulers and tears them down. He chooses who is in control. Everything is created by Christ. Uh, and we're going through Isaiah in Sunday evenings and learning about God calling up Cyrus to be his messenger, to be his servant, an ungodly king that would not acknowledge God as the one true God, and yet God calls him his servant. Why? Because Cyrus is under God's hand. He may not do what God wants him to do. Our leaders may not follow what God would have them to do, but they do not make a single decision that is not outside of what he has ordained to happen. When I feel like my political world is spiraling out of control, when I feel like there's no one who's standing with me, when I feel like, Elijah, I'm the last one left, Lord, you know what? I can remember that every principality, every power, every dominion, every ruler is created by Christ. Once again, we see that everything in our experience is through Christ. In Colossians 2.3, Paul says that in him, in Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's not just political powers and forces and world movements that are invisible forces that God has created. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding for how to live, everything that we need for life and godliness is through Jesus Christ. Do you see the picture here? We can go to Christ for any area of life, anything we need, anything we face, no matter what it is, our answer is Christ. Not because it's a cliche, not because it's some short bumper sticker that we, you know, put somewhere to remind ourselves. No, Christ is everything because he has created everything. He has authority over everything. He is our salvation. Everything is through Christ. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Colossians 1.17. Not only did God, did Christ, create everything. He didn't just start this world spinning and then send it off its merry way. He didn't just establish the laws of gravity and the, the thermodynamic forces and then say, off you go. 
he didn't just create everything visible and invisible. It says, he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things continue to exist through the will and the power of Jesus Christ. This word um, consist is synesteme, which is not how you pronounce it in Greek. But if you were to look up the Greek word for it, it's to bring and to hold together. It's a perfect and complete state. This is something that is happening, but it's something that is as if it's once and done. It's not going to change. Nothing is going to shake this. Through Christ, everything consists. And what does that mean, everything consists? Let's, let's look back at the things that we saw, we experienced through Christ. First of all, our redemption through Christ. Our redemption through Christ is not just a point in time where he saves us. Our redemption through Christ consists in Jesus Christ, meaning he holds it together. We have eternal security of our salvation through Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3.3, 3, Paul says this. He says, you are dead in your sin nature. You're, you're dead to your old self, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We are hidden with Christ. We are secured by Christ. Romans 5.8, a very familiar verse that we use to talk about the love of Christ, right? But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we rightly so think about the love of God to save people who had, do not deserve it in any way. But you ever think about the fact that that love is demonstrated through Christ? Without the work of Christ, we don't experience that love. The love of God is demonstrated through Christ. In John 10, 28 and 29, Jesus says that the Father has given all of his into my hands, and no one can take them out of my hands. He says he has all of us in his hand. In, in Ephesians 4.30, Paul is talking about don't grieve the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is how we are sealed until the day of redemption. Well, who gave us the Holy Spirit? Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to us. All things are through Christ. Whether we're talking about the love of God the Father or the Holy Spirit who seals us, it all comes to us through Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 35 through 39, Paul asked the question, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And let's take a look at that real quick because it's too good of a list to pass up and I'm certainly not going to do it justice by my memory. In Romans 8, starting in verse 35, Paul asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? You notice all those are physical things. Things of the physical world that we just saw in Colossians, Christ created. Because he created the physical world, because he sustains it, he controls it. So anything we experience in this physical world is under his control and under his guidance. But we go on. As it is written, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Ah, there's our list of invisible things. You see, everything that God has created, the visible and the invisible. Paul is reminding us here in Romans that through Christ, verse 28, 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We experience the love of God. We experience the security of God 
through Jesus Christ, whether the hardships that we are facing is something visible or invisible. Why? Because it's all through Christ. He has created all things visible and invisible. He has sustained and continues to sustain everything visible and invisible. We experience the love of God in Christ. Once again, that principle shows itself. All throughout Colossians, you will find it, that everything in our life we can experience and we can trust Christ because it's through Christ. He has sustained all visible things. He, he not only sustains our salvation, he sustains the visible world, the physical world that we experience. We have something like 30 trillion cells in our body if Google search is to be believed. Um, you think about the, the mind and the neurons that fire to create a thought and a perception of the reality that we live in. Um, you think about those those gas clouds out in, in space. You think about the gravity that keeps our planet spinning. Think about the beating of your heart and the blood pumping through your body and the breath that you take and every single sense that you experience because of how God has created you. All of that is sustained by him. I can't stand here and talk to you and look into that camera and share a message through a wire that's carrying elect electric signals out into a Wi-Fi that transfers to someone else's house. Every single one of those physical processes that we take for granted every day, that we just assume is part of our world. No, Jesus Christ is sustaining every single molecule, every single atom of this entire physical world. Everything. We are experiencing his hand on us right this moment as he holds our very reality together. All things through Christ consist. On, I think it was Wednesday, I worked for the County of Monterey, and I had to have a meeting, and I was concerned it was, might have been a little bit of a confrontational meeting. Um, thankfully, it turned out to be um, a good one, a productive meeting. Um, but my personality is I don't like confrontation, I don't like getting into fights, I'd, I'd much rather back away from that. And so I was getting very stressed about this meeting that I was going to have to have, and unsure of what the outcome was going to be. And how I encouraged myself, because I didn't know what to say, I didn't know how to approach um, this party, I didn't know how I was going to come up with the right words, I didn't know how I was going to um, make this work. I prepared, I, I took notes, I, I did my best to make myself ready as I have a responsibility to do, but in the end, I was afraid I was going to walk in there and, and just be blank and not know how to handle the situation. When I reminded myself that every thought I have is sustained by Christ, every neuron firing in my brain is consisting by him, that my very being is under his control, is in, is in his hand, that he holds me, that he loves me, that he cares for me, I could walk into that meeting being very much afraid, but knowing that my life consisted in Jesus Christ. And whatever happened, I could trust him. I could go to my Heavenly Father and say, Father, I'm frightened. I I'm not sure how this is going to go. But you know what? I know you created me. I know you gave me certain emotions and thoughts and abilities and skills and talents. I know you work in my life. I know I have your Holy Spirit sent by your Son, Jesus Christ. And I trust you that just as Christ, in Christ I consist, I trust that you are going to help me through this. And you know what he did? But even if it turned out to be an absolute disaster, he was still there with me. He was still 
watching over me. In him I consist. Maybe it's a, a meeting at work, something with your job that you're concerned about. Uh, maybe it's a relationship uh, where you hope for a certain outcome and aren't sure how to approach a situation or handle a situation. Maybe it's, as I said, our state and, and the, po the politics that we find ourselves in where we seek truth and justice and find it corrupted at every, every turn. Where can we go for comfort? Where can we go for help? We go to the one who holds every invisible thing in his perfect, unchanging, unstoppable will. There is nothing in this world that you cannot face with Christ by your side. Why could Paul the Apostle say, everyone forsook me, but Christ stood with me, and that was enough? Because he understood that Jesus Christ created this world, that Jesus Christ sustains this world, physical, invisible, every part of it. He knew he had the one who made it and was holding it together right there with him. I can't ask for anything better in my life than to have Christ standing with me. So what should be our response to these facts? This is a great list of things that tells us who Christ is. We see the character of Christ, the Son of God. But how do I apply that to my life? Well, first of all, we should remember that our purpose here is to glorify God. And so when we talk of who Christ is, and we remind ourselves of who Christ is, or we share with others who Christ is, we are glorifying God through Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, 8 through 11, Paul gives us a little uh, summary of this. When he reminds us about our purpose in life, he says, if he, uh, Philippians 2, starting in verse 8, talking about Christ again, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things are under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Jesus talks about this when he's on earth. He says that I am not here to glorify myself. I am not here to make my own name. I am here to glorify my Father. And through that, Christ bring, or God brings glory to his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, in Colossians, again, we see in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, that we are to, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. When I talk about doing everything through Christ, it doesn't mean I trudge along in my life hoping that I can barely get by while Christ is with me. No, Christ is the one that's holding my very reality together. He's got my life secured in his hand. I can trust him, and so I can do everything for Christ because he is everything. Another familiar verse, a few verses down in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. How wonderful to serve a Savior who we can trust in for everything, because literally we are not even here without his will, without his creating us, without his sustaining us. Quickly now, as we go to Colossians 2.8, the other thing we, of how we need to apply this to our life is we need to cast off Satan's counterfeits. Paul does an incredible job of concisely talking about the infinitely wonderful power and nature of Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Beware, now that we know who Christ is, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit 
after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The church in Colossian, of Colossae was facing a problem where false teaching was getting in, challenging who Christ was, and Paul lays it out very clearly. This is who Christ is. Philosophy attempts to use human reasoning to explain the unseen. Can't do it. Tradition attempts to bring order and certainty to life, to bring salvation. It can't do it. Um, the rudiments of the world, understanding, trying to understand life through the visible, the visible world, can't be done. How do we explain life through Christ? How do we bring order and certainty to our life? How do we have salvation through Christ? How do we understand our visible world around us? Did it evolve? No. It's through Christ. When I fear unseen forces, when I want to know that I'm in a right relationship with God, when I try to understand the physical world that I find myself in, how it works, my place in it, there is only one person I can turn to, the person of Jesus Christ, who is God. Paul could sit alone in a prison cell saying, the Lord stood with me, and that is enough, because he understood that everything in his life, seen and unseen, was through Jesus Christ. Whatever we are facing in our life, whatever we are struggling with, whatever we are excited about, whatever is good, anything in our life, let us look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Let me pray, and then just I'll turn it over to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you.